good turn. That one already did. So uh, some of you might wonder now, what does America's Got Talent have to do with Jesus Christ? Well, a lot, <laughs> a whole lot. And uh, I want to say something to you. I'll repeat this multiple times throughout today's message, but it's simply this. Don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? Don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? Her name's Jane Marshevsky. She's a contestant on America's Got Talent this summer. Now, for me and my family, you will probably over the years probably end up seeing several clips from America's Got Talent because it is one of only two shows that my family will actually sit down and, and watch. Now, we never watch it live, of course, because no one does that anymore, right? Um, we watch it on the app, which is way better, free, A. B, um, we can fast forward through the parts we don't like, um, and C, we can watch it whenever on earth we want. For some reason, we all love that show. We just do. It makes, um, I don't know, it's just something, something about it. It's just a different kind of show. Jane's performance definitely grabbed a hold of us back in June whenever it aired. Um, I definitely cried. I'm a sucker for those things. Anybody, every time somebody gets the golden buzzer, unless I just think they're terrible, uh, the golden buzzer means they get to fast forward, they get to miss all the middle stuff and go all the way to the live shows. That's what that little episode there means. But it really upset me when I began to read more because I'm like, there's got to be more to her story than what we just saw. You know, television's always going to edit out the truth. <laughs> and so I, I just had this feeling that just maybe she might know something that I know. And so I had to investigate further. She's a graduate of Liberty University. After graduation, she got married and she was a worship leader and, and, and did some music down in Nashville, Tennessee. But some things happened, and she ended up just abandoning it all for three years, just completely taking a break. Not abandoning Christ. No, no, no. Just abandoning the music world. She describes it this way. At the end of that three years, she was thriving, as she said, emotionally and spiritually at the very end of that time. The day that she decided to get, jump back into music was the day that she was diagnosed with stage three cancer. In 2017, in 2018, at July, she was declared cancer-free, so she returned to music once again. Well, over a year later, on New Year's Eve in 2019, unfortunately, she received the news that she once again had cancer. It was at this time that her husband decided she got married right after college. It was at this time that her husband decided to let her know that he no longer loved her and wanted a divorce. <laughs> yeah. The cruelty of humanity is spectacular. My goodness gracious. I, yeah. That diagnosis in 2019 left her with only three to six months to live. But wait, it's 2021. This was in June. She was well enough to audition for AGT. You heard her words. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. Yeah, you got to move on. She added there at the very end in her little post-interview that she has a 2% chance of survival. 2%. But then she went on to say, but 2% isn't zero. I think it's amazing. I just wish people could understand how amazing that 2% was. That is the heart. That is the attitude of our Jesus. And if you are a believer... No matter what you're going through in life, that attitude is possible 
within you. Because your hope is not in this world, it is not in your physical body, it's not in your job, it's not in your relationship, your hope is in Christ alone. And if you're in this world and you are searching, then that is what is waiting for you in Christ. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. So here's what I want to do to start today. I want to take a moment and I want to see who all this applies to. Now, I'm going to ask some very deep and some very personal questions. And I'm asking us as a family to be willing to be open and honest with one another and to just politely slip our hands in the air when the appropriate question comes your way. Now, I understand you might not want people, you might not know people here yet. You might not want them to know your past. That's cool. Listen for your question when you know you're supposed to raise your hand. Wait until a different question comes up and then slip your hand up. No one cares. <laughs> You'll understand what I mean in a minute. And then just kind of hold your hand there. There's a, there's a purpose, I promise, in this. So here we go. Was there anybody that's watching or listening today that was born into a situation, maybe had some type of birth abnormality, difficulty surrounding your, your uh, time in the womb or even your birth? Maybe you weren't even given a chance from the start of life. Is there anybody here that fits into that category? Because there's always a couple. Let's get really, really personal. <laughs> Who's found out that maybe your mom considered abortion for you before you were born? Who's ever been in a major accident of some kind or some type of behavior that could have potentially taken your life, yet you're still here? Who's ever been saved from an overdose or an addiction? Just keep all those hands, just keep them up as we go through this. Who in here has ever had a life-threatening illness, say cancer, heart disease, diabetes, maybe a stroke? Who's ever had a life-saving procedure, operation, surgery, something along those lines? Maybe the diagnosis was caused by something you've done. Maybe it was something you could have never even prevented, you never saw coming. How many of us have ever been betrayed, abandoned, abused, neglected, fired, (laughs) Maybe the pain wasn't yours personally, but it came as a result of someone else's actions. Who in the room's ever lost a loved one due to an accident, a medical emergency, even suicide or an overdose? (laughs) Maybe your story comes from a place where someone was taken from you too soon. Maybe you lost a sibling, a parent, or even one of your own children. There's an endless number of scenarios that I could have asked you right now, but if we're all honest, then probably every single hand in the room is raised. And the reason that I ask this is this. First of all, church, you can put your hands down. We need each other. We've all shared this common life experience. We need the peace of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus. The salvation of Jesus, and yes, the hope of Jesus in this life, because here's an absolute truth. If I'd randomly picked up 191 people to come in this room and fill these 191 chairs this morning off the street of Brazil, and I brought them here, and I asked them all the exact same questions, I just asked you every single hand in the room, 
would have been raised. No one escapes the realities of life in this world. No one. But you see, that crowd would be different because much of that crowd would be without the hope that can only be found in Jesus. That crowd has been left to try to make it through this life alone. That crowd has been blinded by the gods of this world into thinking that there's nothing better for them and there's no other way to live this life. And here's the real problem. So many in that crowd have been ignored by the very people who hold the key to that hope. They've been cast aside by us, the ones who claim the name of Jesus for ourselves, but are simply just too busy to share him with them. We see these people every single day of our lives, at work, at school, at restaurants, at events, at the store. And if you and I are friendly people, then we'll probably strike up a small talk kind of conversation, but we'll never get around to the most important thing to tell them and how they can better survive the same hell that so many of us have gone through in this life. We have something for them that they're longing for right now. We got to stop being so selfish, church. <laughs> we got to share our story. Amen. I think that's why I'm here. <laughs> I really think that's why I'm here today. That's why I'm in double overtime, y'all. I know some of you got me beat. I get it. But I'm in double overtime. God's not done with me yet. And I can assure you, because you're sitting here breathing with me today, he ain't done with you either. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to read a passage of scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or chapter 4, sorry, beginning in verse 5. So turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Paul is writing to us here, and he says this because I want to be very clear about what this morning is not. <laughs> For we pre what we preach is not our Selves. I am not preaching to you myself today. I'm preaching to you, Jesus Christ, within me as my Lord and ourselves as servants for your sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But you see, we have this treasure for us. But this treasure is stored in this fragile jar of clay, our human bodies, to show you that all surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, because in this life, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed. We're confused. We're disoriented. We don't know what's going on, but we're not to be in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We absolutely will be struck down maybe time and time again, but not destroyed because we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in us. For we who are all alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life 
may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, many of you figured this out, death is at work in us, but life is also at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. You believe, do you speak? Do you share that with others? Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. And all of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. And so today, I'm going to take some time, and I'm going to share with you some pieces of, of my story, not every detail. Obviously, we don't have time for that, but some details. And here's the thing. Probably, if you ask Jane, she might have the same question, and I would say, I haven't gone through anything compared to what that poor lady is going through right now. I got nothing terribly tragic to share, at least from my point of view. I only moved once as a kid. Some of you moved dozens of times, changed schools every year because of this situation, that situation, broken homes, things like that. I, I, I don't have that story. God chose not to give me that story. My tragedy begins in kindergarten. It's about as superficial as you could get in kindergarten. I can only remember one thing from my kindergarten year. My mom already, she already knows what it is. I got in trouble in kindergarten. Shocking, I know. Not for what you think. Um, I got in trouble because uh, I didn't tie my shoes right. Yeah. You see, my dad didn't tie his shoes right. So guess what? I didn't tie my shoes right. Tragedy was this. I got to stay in recess to learn how to tie my shoes. There's nothing more tragic than a kindergartner missing recess, people. Okay, that's a sad, sad story, right? If you remember that, I don't know. In first grade, I moved. There's my big event for first grade. I moved in April of my first grade year to a new school. And it appeared that that new school that I moved to was a little ahead of the school that I was coming from. So at the end of the first grade year, my wonderful first grade teacher, Mrs. Lewandowski, yes, that's her name, decided that it would probably be in my best interest to repeat first grade and get caught up. Well, she left that decision in the hands of my brilliant, brilliant, brilliant parents, who then, in turn, left that decision up to me. <laughs> My options were A, repeat first grade, or B, spend the whole summer getting tutored in math and reading, and then move on to second grade. You'll probably never guess which one I chose, right? <laughs> yeah, that was it. Uh, second grade, I don't even remember second grade, like at all. I, mean, I think I had Mrs. Evans as a teacher. I remember nothing else about that year whatsoever in my life. I had nothing at all. In third grade, I remember one thing. I broke my right arm. That's it. I broke my right arm in third grade, which all that it did was it prevented me from fully learning how to write in cursive. That was the year back then. Now you don't teach that, but I mean, we did then, and, and that was the year that you learned was in third grade, and I broke my right arm, and I've never really fully learned how to write in cursive. It was a, a terrible, terrible thing, but as you can see, there was nothing devastating that happened in my life. God blessed me with an incredible family, 
an incredible church that we went to. We were a part of all the activities that had the benefit of learning and growing up within that environment. Now, along about middle school-ish age, I, I began to have some girl problems, you know, as ever, all of you probably did in middle school, gentlemen, right? It began in fifth grade for me because the girl right behind me, we had two, 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 the girl right behind me, set behind me, I, I kind of liked her, and, and that was good, and she kind of liked me for a while, you know, the drill, boy likes girl, girl likes boy, girl breaks up with boy, right? You know the drill? You know that one? Boy still likes girl, girl likes boy, Girl doesn't like boy anymore, breaks up with boy, boy still likes girl. You, you, I could go on for a while, but I'll just fast forward to the end of the story. Girl and boy just celebrated their 25th anniversary in June. Don't you, don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? Yeah, it's not so bad. My freshman year of high school, I was on the way to sectionals in Greencastle, Indiana. I went to North Putnam High School. I was riding with an older friend. He was a senior. And we were on our US 36, leaving Bainbridge, headed toward 231 to head south to, actually, Shortcut Road, but that's a whole other story, um, to get down to Greencastle. When we noticed on US 36, approaching from the south, an old beat-up pickup truck. And that old beat-up pickup truck didn't seem to be slowing down at all as we are approaching that intersection, I guess. He has a stop sign. Um, the truck didn't stop. They ran right into us. Now, I don't remember any of it. If any of you have been in an accident, you might have had the same experience. I completely blacked out. I have absolutely no idea what happened. I was not. I literally heard the last thing said before it happened, but that's it. I nothing else. I remember coming to. I was sitting in the car in the field <laughs> with the hood over there and the truck over there going, ah, I couldn't breathe. When you black out and you wake up and you can't breathe, that's kind of frightening um, if you've never had that experience. Uh, I just got the wind knocked out of me. It wasn't a big, giant deal. Took off my seatbelt, opened the door, got out of the car, went and sat in the cornfield, what was a cornfield, just dirt at the time, caught my breath, and I honestly kind of thought everything was just fine. Like, cool. That was weird. What happened? I don't know. Are we still going to get to the game? You know, that kind of thing. And then I went, literally, I was sitting on the field, knees bent, and I went like this, like, oh, man. And I took my hand away, and I saw blood running down my hand, and I went, hmm, this is a problem. This scar right here is, is from that wreck as a high schooler. Now, the seatbelt I was in obviously didn't fully do its job. I didn't fly out the windshield. That was good. But I did hit my head on the windshield, and that wasn't the best thing at all. But remember, I'm a superficial high school freshman male, so being in a car wreck, my head bleeding, this was not the worst tragedy of the event. No, 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 no. You see, I had blood running down my hand, and I had on my favorite jacket. It was this jacket right here, a Michael Jordan windsuit, that exact jacket. I'm not making that up. That is the exact jacket. I can tell you where we bought it in Avon, Indiana, and I'm like, no, I can't get blood on my favorite this is us humans. This is humanity. This is who we are, right? Yeah, I picture, there it is. It's wonderful. I loved that jacket. I would still have it to this day, but for some reason, we decided to sell it in a yard sale a few years ago. Boy, I wish we hadn't. Look at eBay. Look at, that's what that jacket's worth. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I had those pants. Like, I had the whole thing. I think there might have been one zipper broken on the pant. But anyway, good news, good news, everyone. I kept the jacket from getting blood on it. 
I got to take a neat ride in the ambulance for only the second time in my life after writing this. I remembered when I was a young child, my dad was uh, moonlighting as a doctor at Huntingburg, Indiana, and we were staying in some apartment-like things that the hospital had nearby, and there was a really bad storm that night, maybe a tornado, and ambulance came and got us there and took us over to the hospital for safekeeping that night. That happened, right, Mom? So that was the first time that I rode an ambulance in my life. This was the second. Um, so I, I had forgotten that. But here's the thing. I didn't get to go to the game, so that was kind of a bummer. I'm a big basketball guy. I'll explain that in a minute. But the second part was this. Um, I went to school the next day. Like, how many of you would have like, oh, dude, that's at least a week off, right? You're in a car wreck. You got stitches. You're all messed up, right? At least a week off at that point. I went to school the next day. Now, that doesn't surprise some of you because you know me. I'm kind of strange. I actually never missed a day of middle school and high school. I still don't know why, um, but I never did. I went to school all bandaged up, stitches and everything, and I remember one very specific thing about this day, and I, I told people a long time ago, when I tell stories, they're going to be as absolutely true as they possibly can be. I'm not going to make up stories. This is not fictitious in any way. In English class, I got in trouble. Now, I won't mention Mrs. Chase by name, but I got in trouble in her class <laughs> because I did not have my book that we were reading in that class that day. You see, my book bag was still in the car that got totaled in some lot somewhere that got towed away, and I hadn't had time to go get that. She would not believe that I was actually in a car accident the day before, and that's why I didn't have the book with me. I'm not making that up. Now, eventually, the stitches and all the eyewitnesses that drove by the accident were able to convince her that that did indeed happen, but I was so upset. Like, seriously, you don't... What? Anyway, that's just, that's just the way life. But again, nothing terrible, nothing tragic. I can get through those things. I love basketball. Definitely my favorite sport. It's not close, just in case you didn't know that. I played basketball, but I was never very good. You see, I was as average as average could be. I knew the plays. I could run the plays. I, I worked hard. I did what I was supposed to do, but I just wasn't very good. So my senior year, I decided to not play. Rather than sit on the bench all season and you know, just get those token senior minutes here and there, I decided, you know what, it's not worth that. Um, I didn't really love the head coach, <laughs> and he didn't really have much use for me, and so I decided just not to even bother trying out, right? But for me, God's always kind of given me this ability that whatever's not working, I'm always thinking in the background, how could we make this work? How could, we have, how could this actually work the way we want it to? He's always given me the ability to formulate those plan Bs. So I, I met with my, the current freshman coach, who happened to have been my freshman coach. And I asked, I said, hey, would it be possible? I'm not going to play basketball this year. Would it be cool if I just came and helped you? It's kind of be like a, you know, a student assistant coach kind of thing. Here's the hard part. The freshman coach is the brother of the varsity coach, who's also the athletic director. And he said, sure, go right ahead. But first, you need to go and talk to my brother. Tell him your plan. Get his approval. <laughs> right. I'm a 17-year-old punk who's not going to play basketball because he doesn't like the head coach. The head coach doesn't like him. So now I have to go and talk to the head coach to try to get this permission. Right. So I did. We had a great conversation. He said, sure. Here's what I didn't know. How would I know that me not playing basketball my senior year would lead me to coaching a couple of my sisters, coaching my daughter in basketball, coaching my son, and 27-plus seasons of coaching basketball at all kinds of different levels and being a part of three different Sima State runs and one state finals appearance. Sure, we lost, but I brought this with me today. The losing ring is red. <laughs> That's my favorite color. 
yeah, it'd have been cool to cut down the nets at Banker's Life, but uh, I got a cool ring out of the gig, right? Pretty neat. Pretty neat. Don't you want to know what happens if you don't give up? If I haven't mentioned it, I will, and I'll mention it again. I did propose to my girlfriend right after high school graduation. We had our open house together at our church, so we rode together after graduation, and we slipped in a different door, went upstairs to the sanctuary right up the very front, and I got to propose to her there where two years later we would ultimately be married. Yes, that same girl from those struggles in junior high. Don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? You see, it's amazing how God has been faithful to me. He's given me four kids and a wife, none of which I deserve at all. They're an incredible blessing, and now I just pray that God will keep me around and allow me to do the best I can, leading them, showing them His love and His ways the best that I can. But what about if I never got started? I don't know your profession. I don't know all of that. I'd love to. I have lots of conversations with you to try to find where you work and what you do and those things. I'm fascinated by those things, but what if you never got started? You see, for me in here, where I am right now, me not being here is a very, very real possibility. There's a very high percentage chance that I would never do this ever in life. When I was a kid, there were two things I didn't want to be. One, a doctor, because my dad was one, and number two was a pastor. That's my short list. I wanted to be a garbage truck driver when I was a kid. I thought hanging on the back was like the coolest thing ever, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, seriously. Anybody else like a kid thought that was cool? You saw the garbage man riding on the back? I mean, that dude, that's like awesome. Anyway, Chris and I were still newlyweds, really. She'd accepted a position at our church as the church secretary. She spent the whole summer helping the senior pastor put together a week of, of junior high church camp. When it came time to, to go to camp, uh, he asked her, us, <laughs> to go with him to camp. Why? Well, because in reality, she'd done most of the work for him, and he kind of needed her help because she kind of knew what was going on. She thought this was a great idea. I, however, had a lifelong vow to uphold. My vow was simply this. I was never going to attend church camp again ever in my entire life. I will not go into the details, but I can tell you this. I had a not-so-great experience at church camp in third grade and vowed never to return and had been successful. So at this point, I did what every single good husband would do. I stood my ground, and we went to church camp that summer because <laughs> that's how life works, right? Her and I got to lead a group together. One of the really cool things is there's still a member of that group that we are still good friends with. As a matter of fact, her, her family have visited here before. Kooky Kelly from that very first year of church camp. It was an incredible week until the dean, a.k.a. our senior pastor, asked me to speak at campfire on the last night of camp. Now, that was not something I was comfortable doing. I was a college student. That really wasn't my thing. Uh, you know, I had good in the class, but probably not with everyone. But as the week went on, I was moved in that direction. Back then, there was this uh, new craze, these new bracelets that had come about. They had these letters on them, W-W-J-D. Yes, what would Jesus do? I'll tell you on another occasion why I don't like that. That's a whole other story. But I did use that idea, and I just changed the wording ever so slightly. I changed it to what did Jesus do, because that's what matters. <laughs> Yeah. As a matter of fact, I still have my notes from that campfire meeting here. This is the old Rochdale Christian Church Bulletin that I wrote them on because that's what I had with me in my Bible. And I still have those notes that I wrote from that night on this piece of paper. It means a whole, whole lot to me. 
I went on to describe a few of the, the miracles of Jesus, his power over disease, over nature, demons, even death. I shared with him a few of his most famous teachings, what Jesus really said, not what we think he said. And I ended with, of course, his two greatest acts to date, his death and his resurrection. I don't really remember anything about what I said that night, only what people told me afterwards. I think it still might be the longest campfire on record at Hanging Rock Christian Assembly, but here's what I can tell you. That's where it all started. That was the first time in my life, even having grown up in the church and everything else, that I believe I truly experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I felt different after that moment. Chris and I went back to eventually lead our, our junior high youth group there at the church. Then God led me to, to start an FCA group at the middle school that I was working at in Lafayette. I was a school teacher for eight years. What would, what, what would have happened if I didn't go to camp? What would have happened if I hadn't accepted that request to speak on that night? You want me to tell you the honest answer to that question? Who cares? Don't think about the past. You can't change it. There's a question that we love to ask right now in this world. What if, quit asking that question, what if isn't real? It's not. Don't ask it. It's completely useless. Today is what's real. This moment is what's real. What lies ahead doesn't really matter, does it? What's God preparing for you? Oh, he'll get you there when he's ready. What's most important is what does God want you to do right now? That's really all that matters. What does God want you to do right now? What does he set in front of you right now to accomplish, to do? And I firmly believe that that moment, that experience at camp ultimately led me to apply for my first full-time ministry job. I was already in charge of, of the youth group. Chris and I were in charge of all of those ministries in our church. She and I were even the chair people of the committee to find a youth minister at our church. That's how deep we were involved with those things. When all of a sudden it occurred amazingly to both of us, but independently, this wasn't a conversation we had together, that I was probably the one that was supposed to apply for that job. It's a really long story for a whole nother day, but God had a different plan. The leadership of the church didn't believe that I was qualified for that position. I'll admit that it was painful and pretty confusing since I was already doing everything that you would do as the youth minister. But don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? You see, it would have been really, really easy for me to step back from that and go, you know what, God, you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I was listening to the wrong thing. Maybe that's not really what you were saying. I even had some people tell me that I hadn't heard God clearly on that or that I didn't even have a connection with God to be able to hear him on that. I still disagree with those people. But it would have been very easy to just keep teaching, keep coaching, keep pursuing high school coaching jobs because that's what I was doing at that point in time until one day... <laughs> When the youth minister at the new church that our family had began attending suddenly up and left to go take a senior ministry position out of nowhere. It seemed like nobody, none of the youth leaders, nobody knew it was even happening. About two months later, the, the lead pastor of that church emailed me to see if I might be interested in that position. <laughs> and in 2006, June of 2006, I was hired as the youth minister 
at that church, don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? And after pursuing high school coaching jobs for five years, no joke, I had interviews in Kokomo, I had interviews all the way down in Bloomfield and lots of places in between for high school coaching positions. Wouldn't you know that as soon as I accepted the full-time youth ministry position that very next week, I was hired as the JV basketball coach at Crawfordsville High School, a job that I didn't even apply for. (laughs) Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart, Psalm 37.4. Don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? Fast forward a couple years. In the fall of 2009, I began grad school. I believed that God was leading me to pursue a seminary degree. Now, when I was hired at the church, I did not have a background in Bible, uh, an undergrad degree in Bible or anything like it. And so I told them in that last, in that meeting where they officially said yes, I said, here's the thing, guys, I know you, whatever, but I, I want to tell you, I want to pursue that eventually. As God allows me to do that, I think this is important. I think it'll only make me more better as a pastor, better able to, to teach and preach and those things. So I want to pursue this. So here it is, fall of 2009, three years later or so. Now, I had absolutely no idea how I'd have time for it. I'm a full-time job, full-time dad with three kids. I've got a basketball gig that's pretty labor-intensive there because we've got a pretty good team. I have no idea how I'd have time or, more importantly, how on earth I would pay for such an endeavor, but we truly believe that's what God wanted. And the first class of that program happened to be taught by a man named Gary Johnson, who some of you might remember was here back in June to share with all of you. I love that Man, the degree schedule was pretty laid back. Sure, you could complete it in two years if you wanted, but you didn't have to. You kind of take classes as you were able, and that's what I did until the summer of 2011. In 2011, I, desire, I felt this desire to become a full-time student, to get this thing wrapped up. And so in just three semesters, I would be able to do that. I had extra classes to take outside of the, the program because I didn't have the undergrad degree in Bible. Again, the schedule was going to be difficult, and I had absolutely no idea where the funding would come from, but we knew if this was what God wanted us to do, then He would provide. Got it all scheduled, all ready to go. And then in July of 2011, I went to the dentist. No big deal, right? I love the dentist. Dr. Randy's an awesome guy. He's basically been my dentist my whole life, but this appointment was really, really weird because his assistant came in and took my blood pressure. They always do. She had a little digital sphygmometer and and, uh, took my blood pressure and Then she waited a moment and took it again. That was odd. Then she left, and she came back with the old-fashioned blood pressure cuff and the stethoscope. Took my blood pressure again. Asked me a very simple question. She said, uh, do you have high blood pressure? Not to my knowledge at that time. That was it. They never told me anything else. They actually never even told me what my blood pressure was that day. I have absolutely no idea. But they did let my dad know. I, I mentioned a while ago that my father was a physician Dad, of course, immediately was concerned, got me on blood pressure medicine, and I don't know the dates, but I feel like it was within a week I was in to see a nephrologist to find out what on earth was going on. I had some blood work done, I had some tests run, and I had a very, very painful ultrasound done on my kidneys to find out that age 35, uh, my kidneys were functioning at 30%. No determinable reason why, no family history, no lifestyle choices that had led to their failure. The doctor was very honest with me. He said, hey, we're going to try to maintain things as long as we can with medicine, but, but, the transplant, that, that's, that's inevitable. <laughs> All I did was go to the dentist, right? Yeah, 
kind of crazy how that works. All right, so here we go. Let me set the stage. We have three kids. My, my youngest at that point in time is a little tyke named Corey. He's a whopping three years old. School's getting ready to start for all those folks. Youth group, of course, getting ready to kick off for the fall. Oh, by the way, I just committed to going to grad school full time. Had no idea how we'll pay for that. And one other little thing, we work at a church, which means that I don't have any health insurance. Churches don't provide such things typically unless it's a big giant mega church. And both Chris and I happen to work at the same church. Don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? Because the reality of the situation is it makes perfect sense to lay everything else aside and just focus on me and my health, right? I probably could have justified it from a number of different angles, probably even biblically if I really wanted to. But you see, that's not how God wired me. I think some of you have come to realize that. Did I cry? Absolutely yes. You see, the first time that you truly realize that you are mortal, you might not realize this, but you and I have a very similar percentage chance of dying. It's right around 100. There's really no escaping that unless Jesus returns before. That there's an actual end to your life, and furthermore, you have absolutely no control over that end. That's a hard realization to grasp, especially at age 35, when it comes out of absolutely nowhere And it's something like, oh, an organ failure. But God allowed me to press on because that's just how he works. And in December of 2012, God allowed me to walk at graduation and receive my master's degree. And the greatest cause of stress in America, of course, is finances. So my final semester, CCU sent me a bill for $400 that they owed me. Yeah. Our God is faithful, people, if we trust Him. Is it easy? (laughs) No. Does this world throw things at you that hit you right in the face and give you big, fat, black eyes and bloody lips and bloody noses? Yes. But don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? (laughs) That same fall that I was diagnosed, really, that same fall, like in August when we're going to start the fall basketball things, we went to the fall basketball out meeting, and the head coach announced, I'm resigning, which means that they hired a new head coach, which means they brought in a whole new staff. (laughs) They didn't have any use for little old me, which was also one of my sources of funding for the educational side of things. Now, this would have been a great time to hang up the whistle and the clipboard, walk away from that, especially with my new diagnosis, right? (laughs) A couple months later, though, Kingsway, where my kids went to school, happened to be looking for a sixth grade girls basketball coach, and I just happened to be a basketball coach, so I said, sure, why not? And it just so happened that my oldest daughter, Kaylee, was a sixth grader, so I got to coach her. Then the very next year, I was hired at Covenant Christian High School as a part of a brand new staff there that helped lead the team to the state finals in three years. Don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? And life hasn't been easy since then. The next few years saw some major, major difficulties for my family. See, my father was diagnosed with frontal temporal dementia. That was hard. (laughs) Different than Alzheimer's, but it, it changed him dramatically. He was still there. Every once in a while, 
Some of you know the drill. But that disease had unfortunately led to some uh, major other difficulties in his personal life and in our family, and, and it was hard. <laughs> it was really hard, especially our mom, who would travel hours and hours to go and visit him at the care facility he was at a couple times a week. Men in the room, sons in the room, there's nothing harder on this planet than watching your mom struggle. All the while, my kidneys were slowly losing function. And in September of 2017, my, my nephrologist, my kidney doctor, told me it was time to get ready to get on the transplant list. Now, many of us, quite honestly, uh, we would all say our, hands are in, our, our lives are in God's hands. But let's be real. A lot of us, our lives right now are in the hands of medicines that we take, are they not? That's true. And that's one level of faith, shall we say, in those medicines. But when it goes from the medicine and your, your hope and faith and trust being in that medicine preserving your life, to now all of a sudden, now your life will only be preserved by the act of likely a stranger who might have even had to lose their own life so that yours could be extended, that changes the game. You can't go to Kroger Pharmacy and pick that up. After a little bit of difficulty, we were led to St. Vincent and their transplant team there who took us through the process. They are incredible. If any of you or any of your family members ever are in need of such services, I will recommend Dr. Goniam and his team absolutely immediately right now today. I'll go with you to your first appointment as you meet them. They're incredible people. But they take you through this process, and uh, it's hard to take at times. Because they show you the stats, the wait times, the recovery, the meds, the possible problems, and on and on and on it goes. I had some good things going for me. I was young. I was completely healthy. I wasn't overweight. I didn't have any other issues. I was just fine. I wasn't on dialysis. There were no other issues, so I was a prime candidate for a transplant. And in March of that year, I believe it was, I was officially put on the list, right? The list that can take up to average time, I think three years, wait time or something like that for people on the transplant lists. But God did something a little different. He provided so many people who stepped forward and got tested to see if they might be a living donor match. Guys, my youth leaders, some of my youth leaders went in to go get tested. I had students asking me if they could go get tested. No, you're not old enough to do that. I had family members getting tested. Who knows who else behind the scenes? One of my youth leaders actually came to me at one point in time because they were actually looking at possibly being an actual close match. They'd been tested, but in this testing process, they found out that they had some medical issues that they didn't know about that needed attention. Praise God for that lady's faithfulness to be willing to help me because God used it to help her. Church family, are we that family yet? Are we that family that if someone in our congregation arose with a need as great as this, that we would step forward to be willing to help meet that need? Because that is who we should be. It was incredible. Or are there limits to your generosity? Organ donation isn't for everyone. That's not what I'm talking about. We were overwhelmed by the love that was shown to us through those that we were ministering to. In June of that year, so just a couple months later, 
They notified us that a very, 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 very probable living donor had been found, and just a little bit later, that living donor revealed himself to us. It was one of my five now brother-in-laws. His name's Donnie. You saw his youngest on the screen last week singing to you. (laughs) There's a reason God gave me five little sisters, I guess. God provided once again. In October 20th of 2017, God saved me again. (laughs) The first time was August 17th, 1987, where he saved me from my sin and my guilt and my shame and saved me for all eternity to be with him. This time, he, he saved me to allow me to be with my family for a time longer and to keep sharing His Word with anyone who will possibly listen. As a coach, I looked at that moment and said, well, we're on to overtime. I love overtime. Overtime is exciting. It's fun. There's a time limit, but at least there's a chance. You got a chance to win. There's an opportunity there, and it is just so exciting. Everything turns up a notch when you get to overtime, right? Now, I was supposed to be off work for potentially up to three months, (laughs) right? I went to school after car. Anyway, um, about just a a couple weeks later, uh, I snuck out of the house with with my wife's permission, and we went to this amazing dinner that our youth group would hold every year for the widows and widowers in our church. It was the first time anybody from church had, had seen me, and that was the group that I wanted to see because it's such an incredible evening to show those people the love of Christ and let them know how much they're cared about. Then we're on to 2018, and early in the spring of that next year, God had a new plan for me. I didn't fully see it coming, but he had a plan for me. And after a conversation with that man, Gary Johnson, the same man that taught that very first class, same man that was here a few months ago, I was able to have another conversation, a little Mexico in Crawfordsville with some guy named Tom Hess, which followed up with a conversation with the elders here at Berea Christian Church. And on Sunday, June 3rd, on our way to camp to go to uh, celebrate good times that day, I received a phone call and decided to accept God's call to be here with you at Berea. You must understand that's only nine months after a life-saving transplant. (laughs) It's just God reminding us that, hey, I'm just getting started with you, Chris. Got big things ahead. (laughs) Don't you want to see what happens? if you don't give up. <laughs> I didn't have this in my notes, but shortly after I started here on August 2nd of 2018, my father passed away. That's a hard way to start a new job. <laughs> I didn't begin here till the middle of July, but that's how it started. And here we are today, the next chapter, if you will. <laughs> I'm good, right? It's Monday morning. I'm feeling great. I'm exercising three to five times per week. I exercised that morning. I got here. I, I don't eat terrible. I, I drink tons of water. My blood pressure is doing well. I've really got no great risk factors. Everything that morning is going great. We're moving our new children's ministry director into her office. I'm carrying desks, shelves, tables, moving things all around, just feeling great. Had lunch, felt great. Checked a toilet downstairs in the girls' restroom because it wouldn't fill. Figured out what was wrong with it. Wrote that down so I could tell Jerry Dilly that I need it fixed. Took everything back. Hey, I only have so much time in the day. Um, took everything back to the annex, put it on the shelf, and I'm like, man, I don't feel well. Something is not right. Now, I'm a pretty good student of my body. I'm one of those people that if I'm getting sick, like I know days before I'm getting, I just kind of feel those things coming on. All I had was a little bit of pressure in my chest. There's no pain, no, nothing like that. 
So it just kind of caught me. I stood there for a minute. I literally did this and went, okay, I don't know what's happening. So I went over to my office and I turned on the ceiling fan. I sat down, propped my feet up and just kind of leaned back, take a few deep breaths. I have a clock on the shelf in my office off to my left. And I looked at it and I literally said out loud, Jesus, let's give this about five minutes. And if nothing changes, (laughs) we're going to go ahead and make that phone call. Well, after three minutes, I decided that was enough time and I hollered down the hallway and, and our administrative assistant, Amber, and I literally politely asked, uh, you can verify this with, with Megan, I said, uh, hey, Amber, could you please call 911 for me? She began to respond. I said, no, 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 just go ahead and call. She came running down the hallway, then Megan came running as well, and Megan asked, anything I do? I said, yes, text Kristen for me. Here's the exact text she sent her. Chris isn't feeling well, and he's heading to the hospital. The end. <laughs> Wives, you get that text on behalf of your husband, how will you respond? Oh, okay, I'll see what that is later. <laughs> Probably not. So I'm, I'm now, I, I decided to leave my office and lay down because it just felt better, and the floors in the office aren't real super clean, so I, I went out and laid on the concrete in the shade just to, it was a nice, comfortable spot. And Kristen, of course, texted her, she immediately called me. Uh, once she got that message, and I was able to speak with her kind of and give her a little bit more information. Keep in mind, this is the first day of preschool. She's teaching in Avon. I'm heading to Terre Haute. No idea what I put that poor woman through <laughs> for those couple hours. Good news, our EMS service got here very, very quickly. They're not far away. They got here very quickly. They began to ask all the usual questions. I, of course, wanted to go uh, which way? That way, um, to the hospital, but that's too far. I needed to get somewhere quicker. So we went to Union, and that was okay. That's where I suggested. They said, hey, okay, we'll go get the bed. Put you. I said, don't get the bed. I'll walk over. I'll get on the bed. And so I walked over and got on. They put me in the ambulance. Got me all hooked up. Got me all hooked up to everything. Got me some nitro. Who's had nitro in here? That's, didn't do anything at all for me. I don't know. Um, and the, uh, the paramedic looked at me and said, well, I don't want to scare you, but you're having a heart attack. Now, some of you might know that I do have a bit of a sarcastic side to me, and I really wanted to say, oh, really, you think? (laughs) I did not do that. I literally said, huh, I kind of thought maybe that's what that was. That was it. I didn't really, they didn't really talk to me the whole way to the hospital. I was left to look out the back window all by myself. Thanks for Siri. Love Siri, because I was able to text, I was able to text Kristen because of that and give her a little bit of an update to that. Here's what I was able to do. I was able to have a little chat with Jesus and listen very closely for what he might be wanting to share with me. Now, the conversation was very odd from my end because I never asked the traditional human question. I never asked the question, why? doesn't matter. I literally just asked, okay, God, what's next? I know there's a reason for this. And he absolutely gave me a tremendous sense of peace as I was lying there. Had nothing to do with the medicines because the medicines weren't doing anything at all for me. I was still experiencing full-on heart attack. But he assured me that it would be okay. He went a step further. He assured me that I would soon see Kristen again. And my kids. (laughs) He assured me that this church family that he's blessed me with was headed in the right direction because I asked (laughs) And he was just getting started with us and his plan 
for us. Now, I would love to make up a story about how God gave me some grand vision of exactly what he, and then that's when you ask for money after that, right? No. No. I believe his reassurance that we simply must keep pursuing him with all that we are. And we must love others the way that he loves us, but we got to quit saying it and do it. We got to start reaching out in new, creative ways to the world around us, to those that are literally ruining their lives, changing the, chasing the things of this world. We got to ask ourselves, what sacrifice do I need to make to show that love to someone? to meet their needs and to lead people with Jesus, that sacrifice begins at home. What sacrifice do I need to make so that I guarantee and ensure my family is getting this? And then it goes outside the home to our workplaces and our friends and our community and even the world around us like we get to participate in next week. I'm going to end where we began, 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 18. For what we preach is not ourselves. What you heard today is not me. It is Christ in me. It is the things he has done within me. <laughs> Jesus Christ as our Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sakes. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the faith in the face of Jesus. But you see, you and I, we have this incredible treasure, but this treasure is stored in this fragile jar of clay that he has handcrafted, and it is so easily broken. But it's so easily broken so that it can show, he can show his incredible power within us. And there's nothing we can do to fix this thing or to keep this thing working. He alone is responsible for that. But we are indeed hard-pressed on every side, are we not? <laughs> but in Christ, we're not crushed. We are confused, we're distraught at times, but we are not in despair because our hope is in Christ. We will be persecuted if we haven't been already, but we'll never be abandoned by his love and his grace and his mercy for us. We will be struck down time after time again, but we will not be destroyed. That's the reality in which we live. If you skip on down to verse 13, it is written, I believed Therefore, I have spoken. And since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe, therefore, we speak. Do we, though? We claim belief, but do we actually speak? Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with him. I pray that today is an encouragement for you, A. But I pray that it is a challenge for you as well. You and I will face trials, and now we get to face them together. These have been some of mine. Dr. Jim Dennison, who I'll refer to occasionally in, in his daily article that he puts out, the Dennison Forum, he recently said this, and it's actually in response to this video. One way God redeems our suffering is by using it to strengthen our dependence on Him. It's a famous phrase we humans love to use. What does it kill you makes you stronger? No, it doesn't. Only God can make you stronger. Amen. God, I know I need you. In the church, we'll often say cliche things like, we know our next breath isn't guaranteed. Oh, really? 
It's not. Do you really believe that? I'm just going to be really honest. Do you truly, honestly believe that? Or is it not until that day in life comes when your next breath is actually uncertain (laughs) that you understand that truth? Oswald Chambers, in his famous devotional, My Utmost Forest Highest, wrote it this way, God does not give us overcoming life. No. He gives us life as we overcome. The strain is the strength. If there is no strain, then there is no strength. Now, I open with a clip today from Jane Marshevsky, and I thought it only appropriate to close with this same clip. It's a different version. It's very recent, two weeks ago, in fact. Because a couple of weeks ago, right before America's Got Talent went to the live shows, right after the Olympics, she had to withdraw from the competition. Her health has taken another dramatic turn for the worse. So watch this clip. I just wanted to draw your attention to a a couple of things there. Her rebellious hope, uh, she's a follower of Christ, that's why she has that rebellious hope. And if you're a follower of Christ today, then no matter what you're facing, you can claim that same rebellious hope in the face of whatever attack the enemy throws at you. She was asked a question if she was still writing music and things. Well, if you know any musicians or writers, you know that it's tragedy often that brings those things out. And so, of course, she's still writing, but the question was, well, what are you going to do with it? She's like, well, I'm going to share it. She absolutely knows her music will get shared somehow, some way. She knows that it will get shared. I loved her answer to the question, why me? You know, I just don't really bother myself with it because it's way too big for me to answer. It's not meant for me. And then her comment on mystery. Mystery, just because we don't understand it, doesn't mean that it doesn't have meaning. So, so true. Hopefully you heard the quote, the title of today's message. Don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? But finally, that last thing that she said, not denying the pain of today. As believers in Christ, we're not called to pretend that what's happening in our lives or our world or our community doesn't exist. Jesus never. That would be foolishness. Why would he do that? He never, ever, ever asks us to pretend that the pain and suffering doesn't exist. But what he does ask us is don't forget about the hope of tomorrow. And that's what she's saying. Don't deny the pain of today, but also don't deny the hope of tomorrow. There's a passage on the wall in our kitchen, if you've been to our house, that Kristen and and Kaylee painted up on the wall. And it's a passage that's meant a lot to us over the last several years and will probably for the rest of our lives. It comes from Ephesians Chapter 3, verse 20. Some of you probably know it. It says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ever thought or imagined. That's why I share my story with you to see how I asked for this and this is what happened. I never asked for this, but this is what happened. God is able to do immeasurably more even in our pain and our suffering, our circumstances. Three weeks ago tomorrow, I was in the hospital having a heart attack. (laughs) Here I am sharing my story with you. God's not done with me yet. He's not done with you. Don't you want to know what happens if you don't give up. Father God, as we uh, 
come to the next part of our service where we're going to remember what you did for us. You didn't give up on us, Father. You gave your life for us. As we come to a point in the service where uh, we need to wrestle with some things in our own life. Father, the story that you've given us, are there, is there part of that story somewhere that's unreconciled that we, we haven't brought to you yet, we're holding on to for dear life, whether it's something we don't want to admit to you, you already know, whether it's something we're trying to fix, trying to handle right now, and we can't, and we just don't want to give it up, you're waiting to take it. If it's a health issue, if it's a concern that we have, if it's, if it's prayer that we need, is there something there today that we just need to bring to you so that our story can continue being written and we can keep continuing to press on and we're not going to give up? Is there something in our life right now that we're like, you know what, I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm done. I, mm. Is that you're telling us to do that? <laughs> or is that the world telling us, I'll just quit, walk away. You'll be better if you do. They don't need you. They're no good for you. You'll never fix it. It'll never get better. Or is there a still small voice in the background saying, ah, you're right. You can never fix it, but I can. Give me a chance. Let's go. Let's get to work on this. Father, there's people here today that just have a passion for your bride, the church. They want to see her flourish in this community. I pray that they come and just pray for this body here. Father, there's somebody that's been struggling this last week with everything going on across the globe, the brothers and sisters in Christ, not to mention the other innocent victims. And I pray they come forward and they lay that at the altar today and begin to wrestle with that and listen for your voice and what they might be able to do. Father, I thank you for my story. I don't understand it. I don't need to. I just need to look at it and see you. I thank you for your presence in my life and your steady hand guiding me. And I ask for forgiveness for all the times that I missed the right turn. But Father, you still guided and directed me. And I know you will do the same for all those who are faithful to you. And so if there's anybody here today that's never made that decision, their path right now is just this wandering, winding, blindless, aimless path road. They have no idea where they're going. They're not sure where they're headed, and they really don't know their ultimate destination. And I pray today is the day the Spirit convicts them to the point where they can secure that ultimate destination and start the path that you would have for them. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.